Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This is our league, and this is your league. Broadcasting from the 55-yard line in Japan to the shores of the Great White North and everywhere around the world on Gridiron America Radio and the Sports History Network. Hey, everybody, welcome to From the 55-Yard Line on what is right now our first live stream on Facebook. As we're talking right now, we have been talking uh, for a little bit here on Facebook. Uh, I think we got one person looking in, so it's kind of a beta test for for us as we kind of move into the future here. And the reason why we're able to do this is I finally figured out how to use Zoom properly. So, (laughs) you know, it's worth – everybody was giving me all kinds of – you know, advice, Hey, use this, use this. And then I saw, Oh, I could do live stream with zoom. So we're going to stick with zoom. Okay. Well, enough, enough of me yammering away here. We are with our get it's Dave and I, and we are here with uh, our returning guest, good friend of mine who is um, on the mend. He's on the DL right now. Co-host of the sports lunatic show. Prolific author. Awesome writer. And just a downright good guy. Howie Mooney. How you doing, buddy? I'm working hard on the uh, prolific author part. I'm working hard on the good author part. I, I, I thank you for calling me a good guy, though. Okay, well, you know, you know, you deserve. It. This is you're you're you you're in the third the third time club because this is your third time <laughs> sitting down with me, sitting down with us, and uh, yeah, we're here to talk about you know some more stories basically because you've got a new book coming out. Moral more well you it's it's more it's more Crazy Days and Wild Nights is, is yeah. the title of the book. And um, that's going to be coming out soon. Your other book, Crazy Days and Wild Nights. is well, more, um, more Crazy Days and Wild Nights is out now. It's the follow-up to Crazy Days and Wild Nights. There you go. Dave's got okay. it. Dave's got yeah. it. Uh, it's out. Uh, it's available on Amazon. Uh, you can get it there. You can get both books there. Uh, and uh, it's if you have Prime, you'll have it like in a day or a day and a half or something like that. But Is it um, on Kindle? I didn't. I wasn't able to get this one on Kindle. It didn't give me the, the, uh, the, uh, uh, what's the option to put it on Kindle? And I wanted to. And I. It's funny because Greg, when, when I was going through the steps, uh, I thought of you, and I thought it's not letting me put it on Kindle. Huh. But, but what I will do, it, it, you and I, <laughs> will talk privately, and I'll send you my files, and you can read it that way. Ah, I get a bootleg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. Cool. Yeah, no, thanks for sitting down with us with us. And I know Dave, you know, Dave got the copy of your book here. And there's just a there's a lot to go over in a short amount of time. So Oh, um, that's the thing. I mean, you and I have talked for more than a more than an you, you said we had an hour, but you right. and I have sat down here and talked for more than an hour on many occasions so far. Oh, yeah. 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 So um one of the Dave, you know, I'm gonna let, I'm gonna seed the first question to you, Dave, because you were uh, you got the book in front of you. Um you know, I'll let you, I'm, I'm working the background here, just making sure we don't go offline as, as we talk. So Dave, the floor is yours with the opening question. I guess my, my first question is, is how long after the first book, or was it your intentions to come out with a second book right away? Cause <sighs> I mean, it, these stories are amazing. And like I said, I don't want to give too much out because everyone should buy it because they are incredible stories. But I guess my question, when did you realize I have more than one book here? Um, well, to answer that question, Dave, we have to go back to the beginning, basically. Uh, and, uh, the beginning of the story for me writing goes back to 2021, January, 2021 and COVID, uh, sorry, COVID hadn't hit yet or had it. Uh, I can't already hit. It had already hit. Yeah. It already hit. COVID had hit. So I was coming home 
from work and on weekends I couldn't go out. So I was, I was sitting here in the house and I thought, what am I going to do? And a buddy of mine, Steve Warren in Ottawa, who uh, worked with me on Ottawa Lynx broadcasts in 1995, the year that the Lynx won the International League. Uh, he was the play-by-play -play guy. I was the color commentator. And I do the post-game interviews down on the field and stuff like that. But uh, Steve put out a call. He had a website called sensnationhockey.com. And he wanted writers for his website. So I said, I sent him a message and I said, Steve, you know, I can, I can write something for you. You can take a look at it and tell me if it's good enough for you. He says, Howie. You don't have to audition for me. So just write, just write. And, and uh, you know, we'll put it on. So I started writing for Steve. And fortunately enough, the stuff that I was writing was getting eyeballs, which was great. Uh, there was a website in Toronto that we were doing the Sports Lunatics on. And uh, he called me and he says, I see what you're doing in Ottawa. I want you to write for me in Toronto here. And I said, okay. And what that, what that allowed me to do was it didn't have to be Ottawa centric. It didn't have to be senator centric. It could be about anything. So I started writing stories about things that I remembered from when I was a kid and from when I was a teenager, stuff that had just always stayed in my head. And that those stories formed the kind of the foundation for the first book, uh, Crazy Days and Wild Nights, which is right here. And Oh, and I by the way, I take credit for how that cover is. Just, just for anybody out there. <laughs> that's you, right. When, that's that, right. That, that's my artwork right there. Yeah, this this was used to be a picture from a game that uh, from Wrigley Field that I took when my son and I were there in 2016. I, we were sitting down the right field line. I looked at the scoreboard, but above the scoreboard was this just ominous dark cloud. The light on the field, everything was beautiful. The, the crowd, the, the stands were full. The bleachers were all full. And with this cloud above, I took this picture and it just was this beautiful picture, but it wasn't a high resolution enough for the cover. And so you and I were talking, Greg, mm -hmm. and and you, you uh, instead of, what, what was it? Um, what, instead of a, a JPEG, it, it's an ART file. Is that what it is? Mm, no, I think you had a JPEG. You I had a JPEG. You I had, had a, JPEG, a JPEG, but you turned it into an ART file. Something like that, yeah. yeah. And I'd never heard of an ART file before, and I suggested that to uh, the woman who published the book. And uh, she uh, she tried that, and it, exactly, we have wow. what we have on the cover because of your suggestion and your in your 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 you're showing me a file that I'd never seen before. But anyway, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. No, I just thought I'd throw that in there. I digress. So. No, no, it's okay. The stories, the stories that I had written as a teenager formed the basis or the foundation for this, the sec, the first book. And I just kept writing from there and just stuff that I found interesting or stuff that I found compelling. Uh, and uh, that became a book. And I, well, I start, sorry, I should, shouldn't say it became a book because it didn't become a book. I had accumulated pieces and I had accumulated a bunch of pieces and I thought, Hmm, I wonder if there's enough stuff here to, to put a book together. And I put a manuscript together and I started you know, shoving it around and nobody, it didn't get any traction. And so I started taking stories out of that one and putting different stories in. And, and, and finally uh, I talked to a buddy of mine, Danny Gallagher, who had written, he's written a whole bunch of books. I think he's up to now his 10th or 11th on the expos and, you know, just alone. But Danny talked me through, Oh, it's called explosion by the way. And I think it's available. You can get it on Amazon. It's it, Danny's a great storyteller as well. Uh, but anyway, Danny talked me through the whole process and how to how to put the book together, how to, to contact people, who to contact. And he put me in touch with the, with this woman, Donna Deering, who helped me put the book together and put what I had as a manuscript and turned it into a book. And then I just kept writing because I had time. You know, it's like I got time. So uh, I kept writing and kept writing and kept writing and, and uh, amassed more pieces and more pieces. And so Dave that became the second book and uh you know working that way uh, i've just kept writing and writing and writing and and as we sit here right now i have three more books and maybe a fourth that will that are ready to go anytime that i'm ready to go uh they they can come out and so uh, you know that's kind of, i hope that answers your question in terms of how that was my next question too because i'm curious how many more you, I mean, these are amazing stories. That was my next question was how many more 
do you have? Like, that's awesome. That's great. Well, I have a third in this series in the, in the crazy days and wild nights series. Um, the, and for anybody that hasn't seen them or hasn't heard about them, these, the Dave, you've, you've, you're familiar with the stories, but what I like to find are stories that take place and inside them, there's an element that was totally unforeseen or totally un, unplanned for. And it forces all the people, the principals involved in the story to deal with the consequences of chance of random chance. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, you, you saw in the second book that, and I, I'll, I'll tell a little bit of the story in this one. It, everybody remembers the 1982 fight between Boom Boom Mancini and Duku Kim. And so in that story, I tell each guy's kind of story, uh, how they got to this point where they're fighting for the world championship. Duku Kim, his story was just so compelling to me, you know, fighting his way out of poverty. And I'm, when I talk about poverty, I'm not talking about poverty. I'm talking about abject living under a bridge poverty. Drinking out of puddles because he to to get water poverty, you know, world poverty. Absolutely, yes, absolutely. And he, but he always knew that there's something mm. better out there for him. And he started. He got into boxing, and he boxed his way uh, out of Korea and out of uh, to the Asian Championship to this World Championship fight against Boom Boom Mancini in Vegas in '82. And the way it goes. These were two guys, they were two valiant, two gallant fighters who refused to take a step back from the other guy. Mm -hmm. And back, this was back when, when championships fights were 15 rounds. And they got to the sixth and they got to the seventh and they got to the eighth. And as they got further and further into the fight, their faces became less and less recognizable as faces. And they were more like bloody pulps. But they, But neither guy was backing down. And they got into the 13th and into the 14th. And, and that's when, you know, the worst possible thing happened in the fight. And I'll leave it at that because I don't, I mean, if anyone that's old enough, we know the story, but uh, what I tracked was their, 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 their track, their trails, their, their paths to get to that point in, the, in their lives, the fight itself, and then the aftermath of the fight and uh, how how everybody dealt with that and uh neither fighter well mancini was never the same fighter after that and uh, but i'll leave it at that those are the kind of stories that i that i look for and, and they aren't necessarily always uh sad they aren't necessarily always violent mm -hmm. but there's a lot of that in the stories that i write mm -hmm. there is it's more than just a a fight that happened yeah it's something that happened there's there's a lot more to it yeah yeah the, the stories that i write there are more than just stories about a game or or you know how the score ended up the mm -hmm. way it was it's it's something that happens in the game that that causes these people to have to deal with something possibly for the rest of their lives mm -hmm. well in, in in growing up in buffalo and we we talked about this before the why well, I, I do i do enjoy the the legend of taro from the oh, first yeah, yeah. <laughs> growing growing up in buffalo it's just I honestly, you you can't if you're not. That is a great you story. Have, you have to be a certain age to to understand that story, or to, to even heard that story, and then to understand on how a draft went back then, and then just to hear the whole the whole story is just I'm loud. I'm reading it and laughing because I, it, it's such a hilarious like story. At the end yeah. of the day, it really yeah. is how they pull that off is still to me a hilarious hilarious thing well and you had the humorless humorless uh president of the league clarence campbell you yeah. know who, who you know just <laughs> it was a different time hockey you're right hockey, hockey was run a different way yeah it, it it just is just a different thing it's yes. just yeah. oh, I, I, I now I, I was i had something in my mind that i was going to say Oh, because I talked to Ben Sujimoto, who was the grandson or was the grandson or the great grandson of the family that owned the um, uh, the farm and the, and the, the fruit stand that, uh, you know, between St. Bonaventure and Buffalo that, uh, um, you know, uh, 
that that is the center of the story basically but uh ben ben was great in in terms of, of giving me all the information that i wanted that's awesome no, that, that's that's great that's great well in in, in looking at, at the new book i guess um once again i mean everyone every one of these stories is is just phenomenal it's just depending on the, the, the going back in time or, or how it's shaped like i said i don't want to I want to do this without giving it away, but it really like just like the like the character of Frank Beaton is just oh. is is amazing, <laughs> and it's like I'm I'm looking at this I'm like I'm 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 looking at it first going okay I, I read the title of the chapter I'm like okay I worked in professional hockey for 12 years I've heard a lot of a lot of different stories I'm like. I truly have never heard of this one. Like I, I mean, I, I can reference like Bruce Shoebottom getting getting arrested all the time in the Central Hockey League and, and beating up police officers and all that stuff. But I've not like I've never heard his story. Like it was just it was great um, just to hear uh, like how wacky the, the 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 World Hockey Association was. Just just how it was just different than the starch of the NHL as we were just talking about. That's so true. That's so true. The, the 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 stuffed shirtness that was the NHL at the time, and for no real um, uh, appropriate reason, you know, the WHA came in, and I don't think they intended to be as fun as they were. I don't think they intended to be as wild as they were. But I I told you earlier before we before we started recording that. I sat down with Ed Willis, who who was the uh, the guy who wrote uh, the Rebel League, and just a, a long, long time uh, newspaper guy, especially out of Vancouver for a while, and uh, just the stories of the WHA at the time, they they go beyond kind of belief, or it's almost like we were talking, mm-hmm. you know, you you Greg and you and I were talking about animes and mangas, uh, you know, before we started recording and how you have to suspend disbelief in order to to believe some of these things well the mm. WHA was the same way you almost had to suspend disbelief in order to be able to follow along with their their, their story arcs it's it was mm. just weird and wild I, I always viewed the WHA along the lines of the the AFL in yeah. the in the in, in the aspect of I'm not sure how many of these players were actually thinking they're going to get a chance like this is Granted, they're going against NHL, but it's still the the next tier down. And some of these guys, they they grab some high priced players, but they still were filling them in with other players. And they're like, you know what? I'm getting paid to play hockey. I wasn't expecting to. I'm gonna have a good time at it for as long as it's gonna last. And a lot of them did. And they had a they had a really great they had a really good time. And you're living in in Alabama, you're living in the South and it's 70 degrees out playing professional hockey. You're not trudging with your bag in minus 15 degree weather from the rink to the bus. And I was like, making some decent money. This, this isn't the, this isn't the worst thing in the world. Well, and, and it brings to mind a lot of the things that happened in the movie Slapshot. And yeah. the movie Slapshot did not occur in a vacuum. And oh. in the second chapter of the new book, uh, I talk about Slapshot and I talk about how, how it was made and how, uh, it, um, Nancy Dowd uh, put the put the whole story together because her brother played in Charlestown at the time with the Chiefs, and she wanted to get the vibe of uh, sorry the Johnstown Jets, not Charlestown. Yeah, the Johnstown I was going to say uh, yeah, the Johnstown. Yeah, my my brain. Is, I'm on some wonderful wonderful medication with my hip replacement, but uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, her brother Ned played in Johnstown with the with the Jets. And so she wanted to get the vibe of Johnstown. And at the time in the 70s, it was a really, really hard time economically in the country. It was a really, really hard time, uh, you know, for, for a lot of people uh, to even buy tickets for, for hockey games. It was one of the last things on their on their priorities mm-hmm. list. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the who owns the team theme uh, became her raison d'etre in writing the story about, about uh, Slapshot. Yeah, no, it's and working working in professional hockey for a bunch of years. I tell you, it all that stuff is believable. Like I don't I mean I don't think they, I everything that happened in that movie, I can say you know what they might have embellished a little bit for just a little bit, but the basis of it all happened because so it basically happened. it was a documentary. 
<laughs> it was kind it, of. It, it, it was really kind was. of. You got, you got a, you have a well-known director and a star involved, and then you're filling it in with some newer actors, some hockey players who can act and things like that. But said I, I mean, I my my time was uh, the mid '90s to the mid 2000s, and all of these all these stories, right? I we had we had the um the Hansons come in and when they were doing the 20th anniversary of the movie, they 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 were doing their tours and they're coming in like they all played hockey. This all had like all this, and it was funny. Listen, like there's a lot of things that they didn't put in the movie, and I like <laughs> I, I, I was I I I've seen my fair share of shenanigans and, and working in minor league sports where I'm like all of this happened and probably toned down to some degree so they can get it on the movie so people weren't <laughs> arrested for some of the crazy stuff that they've done so it, it's it's spot on like it was just like I I can't I, I tell people all the time like you you might think this is some wacky movie from the wacky hockey movie from the 70s but it happened all of it happened <laughs> It, it did. And having played hockey myself for 40 plus years and having been a teenager in the 70s and having had to escape from some arenas sometimes because the people didn't like us beating their team, uh, you know, fans jumping onto the ice, trying to fight us in their street shoes and, and, and you know, throwing garbage cans. I remember having a Mickey bottle fly past my head, uh, you know, these, the 70s were a wild time in hockey, not just I mean, it's nothing like the we. I watch hockey all the time, and it's fairly sanitized now, uh, and it's it's very, very, very talented skill wise. But there was there seems to be a little bit of character and a little bit of life that's missing from it from the way it used to be. Even in the '90s, you know, it's it's a different it's a different game today, and they've taken a lot of the violence out for sure, uh, and that's probably a good thing. But I can remember some nights where we'd come out to the parking lot. And, you know, when I was a teenager and our coaches tires were slashed, you know, it was, uh, it was hockey was, was a rough thing at the time. Mm -hmm. And it was led by the, a lot of the, you see a lot of the characters, like the coaches, like, so a lot of that was, you know, John Brophy is the first one that comes to my mind and just so, I don't, I don't mean to go in the weeds so much on this, but there's so many characters in the seventies. Like, yeah, we, it, it was Don Cherry coached the Amherst before before my time working for them. But this was 25 years later, and they're still talking about Don Cherry. They're still talking about those legendary Amherst teams of the 60s and and just how and, and what and what they did and, and and things like that. It's just you just don't see that. You don't you don't you don't minor league hockey has changed so much where that that connection and it's tough it's 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 a different it's a different time and i i feel like i'm that old guy back in the day how it used to be but it was just it's it just how it was that's just that's just how it was in my day we didn't have hair dryers or microwave ovens we you had wanted your hair dried you stuck your head out of the window in the middle of a tornado that's the way it was and we liked it back in my day we used a pencil <laughs> <laughs> what is this pencil you speak of yeah well i guess i wind up Along, along the lines of the book, um, talking about the stories, and you want to find a little more behind the stories. What in this in the second in the second book would you say was the hardest or most difficult to get the background to complete the story? Um, probably probably the story of Matt Dunnigan's incredible night in 1994, where he threw for 700 yards. Um, friend of the show I know and I love that episode I, I go I go back to that episode and re-listen to it so often because so much of what he said in in your episode having to learn how to be a pro after yeah. coming out of college that is a real that's a real thing and it, I've, I've come across that when I've interviewed um, former especially in football but I, in hockey as well and I've brought I've brought it up to people former players. And I say, was there ever a time where you had to learn how to be a pro? And they say, Oh my God. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I had to learn how to be a pro. And it never really dawned on me until I listened to you guys talking with, with Matt Dunnigan and, and just the, the, the personalness, the personality, uh, everything that, that Matt Dunnigan is and that, everything that Matt Dunnigan ever was came out in that interview so well. And I keep yeah, going that back was, to it. 
that was an interview. Um, Dave, I don't know if you, I, I know you've heard that. I'm pretty sure you've heard that interview that Scott and I did with, yeah, with, with Matt. Got and the next Scott, day. It was awesome. When, when Scott and I, I mean, we, we, we got done and we both, you know, we're, we're online like this and we're both like, wow. I mean, yeah. it was a real, I mean, Matt is great on TV. He really is. In fact, I like him more now. I probably with the beard because it's, 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 I saw him, he had the beard. I'm like, oh, that looks really good. Cause when we talked to him, he didn't have the beard. Um, but yeah, it was just one of those interviews where you're like, wow, that was, that was phenomenal. And of course, being living in America, trying to explain who Matt Dunnigan is. But then when you compare him, I go, basically, he's the CFL version of Terry Bradshaw. Yeah, kind so, of. They went to the same school. <clears throat> yep. Yeah. And they both kind of had, I mean, you know, kind of had similar careers, even though Bradshaw stayed with one team, but Matt went to other teams. And they're both in, obviously, they're both in broadcasting. They're both doing pregame. Uh, you know, Matt, to me, just is just, he's just, I, I watch him and I'm like, man, what a great guy. So anyway. Well, that's that's what I felt too. When I listened yeah. to your your interview with him, I thought, geez, there's a guy. I, I really like this guy, the person, the human being that he is. Because he's a he's giving his time. He's not and he's not like uh, grudgingly giving his time. He's like enthusiastically giving his time with you guys. Yeah. And he's telling stories. And I love that's the thing I love is is hearing those stories. The stories that nobody ever gets to hear. The stories of training camp. The stories of carrying other guys' equipment when you're a rookie. The stories of of giving up your your uh, your beer chits to the to the veterans because you're a rookie and you're having to learn how to be a pro. That 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 bar they had up in what it was like a treehouse or something. You know, uh, uh, that all, all those stories are just so wonderful. One of my favorite interviews that I've done uh, on the Sports Lunatics show, and you can find us on what you know, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Apple Podcasts, wherever, um, is an interview that I did with Joanne Polak uh, back in Easter time of 2022, I think. Joanne Polak, for those who don't know, she was the general manager of the Ottawa Rough Riders from eighty. 89 to 91 and the stories that she told first of all she's the first woman to be a general manager of a professional sports team in north america and secondly the stories that she told trying to keep this this franchise this this legendary um, century-old franchise afloat uh, at a time when the cfl was having a lot a lot of trouble uh the stories that she told in that interview are, are some of my favorite stories just just stuff that that people uh, probably even in Ottawa didn't know about the Rough Riders and about how their their contract worked with the city and and how little money they got from the city, uh, you know, for for all of the stuff that they did, uh, and you know, just the stories of the previous GM had a spittoon under the desk, and when she got she got the job, she gets to her desk and she looks at that thing and almost throws up because of it. It's just still sitting there. Uh, you know, all those, those little things, those little stories, it's one of my favorite uh, story, my favorite interviews that I've done. And it's, as I said, it's on the Sports Lunatics uh, show. Uh, it's, it, get it, you can find the Sports Lunatics wherever you find your podcasts, but uh, uh, you go through, scroll through and you'll find the interview that I did with Joanne Polak. And it's, it's, as I said, it's one of my favorites. And what was, you know, with the Ottawa Rough Riders, because you've written a book about the Rough Riders. What yes. was, what was. What did the Rough Riders mean to Ottawa back in the day? Um, they meant everything. Okay, uh, they were the only professional sports team Ottawa had uh, for a long, long time. And uh, uh, as a kid growing up in Ottawa, uh, I, I I loved the Rough Riders. My 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 grandfather was a season ticket holder in the North Side stands uh, back when there were only North Side stands. When they built the south side stands uh, on the on the opposite side of the field, uh, my uncle bought season tickets uh, there. Uh, so I thought like having season tickets to the Ottawa Rough Riders meant you were like the richest man in the world because they, that's what they seemed like to me. Uh, I, and so when I was twelve, I had a paper route, and uh, I, I the, the Royal Bank of Canada RBC had this deal at the time where if you were a kid and you started an account with them for five dollars, you could get season tickets in the end zone seats. Uh, for the Ottawa Rough Riders, and they and it was done around the CFL as well. It was called uh, their their logo is a lion and Leo the lion, so they called it Leo's Leaders. 
And that, that, that program used to exist in, in cities all over the CFL. And that got kids like me and my brother hooked on CFL football. My brother works for the team for the, for the Red Blacks now, uh, you know, when he does stats for them. And, uh, you know, I was a season ticket holder. I covered the team for TV. You know, it, it just, it, we went from being these little kids that sat in the end zone, you know, hoping a ball would land in our laps, you know, from a field goal or a missed convert or something. Uh, and and it, it, now, you know, we ended up, you know, working in, in either with the team or for the team in some capacity. But, uh, you know, uh, at that time, the, the Ottawa Rough Riders were everything in Ottawa. Uh, the 1960s were a, a tremendous sports party because in the Eastern Conference, in the CFL, you had either Ottawa or Hamilton in first place every year. And uh, uh, they they would beat each other just to the, to the bone to try to get to the Grey Cup every year. And um, this past week, in the western on the in the western side uh the winnipeg blue bombers had that kind of from 56 i think to 67 uh 66 or whatever in the west and uh two of their pl players from that that dynasty winnipeg blue bombers team kenny plain and um uh, uh, jerry james both passed away on on february 14th uh this week so uh the, but reading everything about them made me look at the at Ottawa and Ottawa had as their quarterback Russ Jackson they had Whit Tucker they had Ronnie Stewart and though that was the three-headed monster that Ottawa had and and so they were the kind of the similar uh Jerry James and, and Kenny Plain in Winnipeg but uh those three guys back then too players didn't make a lot of money so they had to have jobs outside of uh, of football Russ Jackson was a teacher and later a principal uh, at the, at the high school I ended up going to and uh, 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 Ronnie Stewart was a lawyer. Whit Tucker was a lawyer, I believe. You know, they, they all had jobs outside of football. And it stayed that way for a long, long time in the CFL. Uh, but the Rough Riders, uh, even through the 70s, uh, you know, they were the biggest thing in town. Uh, they went. They won the Grey Cup in 76 on that dramatic uh, Clements to Gabriel touchdown. In 81, uh, they, they, they had a crap, crap team. Um, but they never had the same lineup twice. Injuries, uh, cuts, uh, you know, things things happened all through the season. And finally, the last two games of the season, of the regular season, they, they had the same lineup. And they seemed to catch some kind of lightning in a bottle. And they, they started to play well. They they finished in second place uh, in that in the division that year at 5-11 and 11 because the rest of the division was so terrible. They played Montreal in the Eastern semifinal and they got by by the skin of their teeth. Uh, they went to Hamilton. Frank Cush was coaching Hamilton at the time and that team was 11-5 and five or 12-4 and four or something like that. They, were, they, they breezed through the regular season. Ottawa went in there and surprised them uh, by beating, I think it was 14-7. Pat Stokoe got both touchdowns, if I'm not mistaken, in that game. And uh, he was a slot receiver. And I remember sitting down with him for like an hour, hour and a half. And, and you can find that episode or that episode on the Sports Lunatics show as well. But Pat, the, the interview with Pat was one of my my other favorite ones, probably because my first sports love was the Ottawa Rough Riders. And the fact that he played for the Rough Riders, it was, it was one of my, my most fun interviews, just getting to talk with him about that year and, and about his career. But, uh, you know, after 81... Life in Ottawa as a football fan got really hard because the team got really bad. We still went to the games, you know. I super season '88, uh, the team went two and I think fourteen or two and sixteen. I think we've gone to an eighteen game schedule at that time, but they won two games all year. It was supposed to be a, a wonderful celebration of football, and it was just awful. And then in the '90s, it was it you know it, it changed owners. They went to a, a group ownership uh, in town, and then they sold it to uh, Horn Chen. Uh, or and then the Gliebermans, so the Gliebermans then Horn Chen, and uh, it, it, and it just it just became uh, a, just a, a gong show in Ottawa, and people people stopped going because they knew the team had no chance of winning, not because they didn't like the team or appreciate the franchise, they just they just didn't like going there anymore because they didn't like seeing losing all the time and covering the team in 91 and 92 was or 92 and 93 sorry was difficult, uh, you know uh, mind you. A team like that, like like the Rough Riders were, bringing in guys like Dexter Manley and stuff like, and people like that, uh, personalities who 
were pr- past their primes right and had nothing left football wise but they they could give you a good interview that made made the job a little bit easier uh but it was tough it was tough and uh in by 96 there was nothing left in the in the tank for the rough riders for ownership for the the fans in the city and the team folded after the 96 season and of course the 90 that 96 year i mean you're talking too that was the time period where you had the cfl expansion in the states you had a lot of financial problems it just seemed to me i mean and looking at the period you know for for his people who look at the cfl now who are fans now and new fans in america mm-hmm. when they're looking at the cfl now they don't really get what how important the 90s were to the league and really kind of how you know though they learned a lot of hard lessons that fortunately have not been repeated at least in the in the CFL in terms of you know going for you know just expanding just to collect, get the money um kind of t- taking a step back you know obviously the pandemic put a put up took a fine the league took a financial hit but maybe looking back on it now do you think it was a smart idea from a business standpoint now because we're so many what four going on four years after the pandemic for them not to have played do you think taking that season off actually may have saved the CFL hmm. moving forward now I don't know if it if it did any of that uh I don't know if it saved the CFL. I don't know if it, I mean, it, it hurt the CFL not having the money come in. Right. Um, but, but in I the mean, long term, in the long term. I, I don't know. I I never thought of it that way, uh, Greg, to be honest. I, I um, when I think of, when I think of the game now, I think of the players more than I think of anything else. Right. And how, how did it affect the players? And I'm, I'm sure a lot of the players were hurt by it. Yeah. And I, the players need to have money coming in. Right. And so I'm sure having a year off did not help them at all. And, and, and uh, I'm sure it drove a lot of the players out of Canada and back down to the States to play somewhere just to play anywhere, um, whether it was a spring league or whether it was whatever. Uh, but um, um, I, 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 I never thought about the, the thought of it saving the league. Um well, and the reason I, but I remember when remember I remember when you and I talked. I think the first time it was around the time when the XFL and CFL were talking about merging. Am I wrong about that, or am I right? Yeah, that was about the time. Yeah, that was. Yeah, yeah. you're right. You're right. No, I just I'm just thinking about it now because nobody ever talks about. At least I haven't seen it. Maybe just because I'm on the other side of the world right now. But I don't hear anybody talking about whether or not the CFL is going to be around. It just seems to me that after the pandemic. The, the league got right back on its feet and we got some new owners in, you know, I know there've been some ownership issues with Montreal and obviously BC thing, BC has turned itself around. Yes. You know, in the big city. So with Montreal and obviously with the, with the Argonauts, I mean, MLSE seems to be fully committed to the Argonauts unless I'm hearing, seeing something different. Well, I think, I think that that's true. And I think too, that 2023 saw a real resurgence in terms of fan interest in Toronto because fan interest in Toronto has always been an issue. Right. Uh, but uh, it, it became a real issue probably in the last 15 years because I, I, I moved here to Toronto in 2003, 2003. And at the time uh, it, it, it was, it was, I wouldn't say it wouldn't. I wouldn't say it was a ghost town because there have always been diehard Argo fans in Toronto. Uh, there are there will always be people that will go to the games, right? But it seemed like 2023 drummed up excitement that we didn't have previously. And my hope is that those people are stick around for the long haul, because I love the CFL and I don't care. I will go to Argos games. I, I'm a, I grew up in Ottawa. I grew up a, an Ottawa Rough Riders fan. I'm a Red, Red Blacks fan, but I'm a fan of every team in the CFL now. And just going to Grey Cups and meeting people from all over the, the country and people from the from the states that come up. People come up from Baltimore. Oh yeah, still, you know, and meeting those people and mm-hmm. and knowing that we are the ones that are on our little island. We are on our CFL fan island, and uh, you know, we have to stand together. No, yeah, we'll throw rocks at each other during the season because we don't like, I don't like your team, you don't like my team. But the thing is, we are all 
kind of the same person when it comes to our CFL teams. We love our CFL teams. And if, if, if my loving your CFL team helps the whole league right. uh, survive, I will love your CFL team because I don't care. I love the league more than I love any individual team at this point in my life. Yeah. And the great thing is with the CFL, it's the history, it's Canada to me. I mean, you know, I grew up in Illinois, what, in what used to be French Canada, you know, it was mm -hmm. settled by, it was settled by people from Quebec. So I've always had with Canada, I've always had a love affair with Canada and, um, and Montreal is one of my favorite cities. And, uh, but with the league, I mean, it's just so much history there. And that's the thing with, you know, during that, you know, talking about the XFL murder talks was always the hard thing for me to deal with, at least as an American, dealing with the ignorance of my fellow Americans down where I was at. And obviously, you know, Dave lives, you know, Dave's near the border. So, you know, they up in Dave's neck of the woods, they know what can they, they at least should know what Canada's all about. But, you know, further in, further, further into the States, you know, there's a, there was just a huge disconnect between what people perceived about Canada and what people actually knew about Canada. And I think the good thing that came out of those merger talks is people started down in the States, started taking a look at the CFL and realizing, hey, this is a pretty good league. I mean, you had a lot of, you know, podcasters jumping on the bandwagon. Hey, I, I like the, you know starting their own, you know, God love them. I mean, they, they do actually, you know, they do a great service to, to help promote the league down in the States, the Mark cast, our show, um, my buddy Oz Davis and Joe Pritchard down at the Rouge, White and Blue podcast too. I mean, yeah. So the American, you know, Americans are starting to, to take notice of the CFL. Unfortunately, the TV contracts really aren't helping too much to the States. But now that the games are available online for free, hopefully, yeah, go that ahead. Is, that's going to be huge. And uh, in terms of attracting fans and, uh, and, and maintaining younger fans, having online uh, viewership or having long, the, the possibility to watch a game online, it's going to be huge because – how many of us now still go to our TVs and 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 watch the TV on the on the regular channels anymore? I mean, even as we speak, I've got I've got a, a hockey game that I've streamed uh, all night uh, with the sound down, uh, you know, because it's it's in Ottawa and Ottawa's getting killed. But uh, right. uh, you know, I, I, it's not on my regular TV here, uh, but I'm streaming it. I'm able to do that on my TV. But it, streaming is is it, I mean, welcome to the 2010s. You know, that's, that's how I feel about it. Yeah. CFL, welcome to the 2010s. Uh, it, it's so important that, that younger uh, people have a way to watch CFL games that they didn't have, that they may not have wanted to watch or wanted to see through regular TV. They have it. They can watch it on their phones. They can watch it on their tablets, you know, however they want to watch it. It's there for them now. And thankfully, you know, touch wood, it stays there for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Dave. Because engaging engaging the younger fans, it's engaging me as a as a, a ten year old, a nine year old, got me to be a lifelong CFL fan. Engaging these kids today as young kids will will make them fans of whatever for, for for the rest of their lives as well. Whether it's CFL football, Major League Baseball, anything. And I I thought the new platform this year was wonderful. Online, I mean the whole the app, the being able to do some fantasy. I, I thought that was a really, a really a step up. And, and you throw in the, the streaming. It was just, it was perfect. It was, it was awesome. Yeah. But there was the some grumbling started. about it, but it all worked out. I mean, I, you know, I mean, uh, when it first came out, it was like, there was a lot of grumbling, but you know, it worked, it worked great. I'm sorry. I was gonna say, isn't there always grumbling about something when it's there new? always is. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's what I think. I, I think the grumbling was, it, the grumbling was it, I knew how to find it on ESPN plus I want to go there. I don't like something new. And then people were online going, it's free. Go to CFL. <laughs> I mean, literally it's free. You don't have to have ESPN, but I'm so used to going there. Why, why can't I go there now? Like it was just, but I guess I my mean, question was going back when we were talking about the Argos for a minute. And it, it's been great to see the resurgence and just the interest in the Argos again. Like that was that was my team growing up in Buffalo. It was, a close, it was yes, Hamilton was a tad bit closer, but 
it, it was always Toronto was always a, the, the the bigger picture for us in the in the states. Seeing it, even though I went to Hamilton hundreds of times, it was just like it, it just seemed like it was it was worlds apart for us on on, on our side. But looking now and and seeing that it's almost ten years now, close to being at BMO. Do you think there was any did going to Skydome or Rogers Center now? being so cavernous, not, it, it just, it gave no vibe of a, a feel for, for, for the Argos. Did that, could that have hurt the, the following? Because it was such a, it was such a vast, it was just, it's just a big, just place. And I just, it never felt like it had a, a feel. I think the, a lot of the injury to the following, to Argos following in Toronto went back to when I think Harry Ornest, if I'm not, I, and I want to get this right. I, I, and somebody will correct me if I'm wrong when he owned the team and blacked out home games uh, mm. because, you know, and I think that was that forced the team to be lost to a generation of, of possible okay. fans. And, and that was the start of it. And then what you were talking about too, Dave, with, with the, the, uh, if, if the Sky Dome was empty, if Rogers center was empty, during a game, uh, yeah, then it felt like we were rattling around in there. You know, like the the, uh, the twenty thousand people were rattling around in a fifty thousand seat stadium. Yeah, like um, you, yeah, you get thirty thousand people, and it's, it's still like, where is everybody? Still thirty thousand yeah. people. Like this is a great crowd. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. And I, I remember when my son optics was are little, everything. You're right. You're right, Greg. But when I remember when my son was little too, and uh, his he was in Cubs, Wolf Cubs, and and uh, his Cub pack was going to a, a, a an Argos game and so I went I tagged along and uh, uh they formed the little corridor where the players ran out and you know uh, there's my son and he's like this big and then the players are all this big and and but but he loved that experience and and yeah. now he is a CFL fan whether it's Ottawa whether it's Toronto I mean we went when the Red Blacks came back in 2014 I can't believe it's that long ago already, but uh, you know, we went to the first game and there were, it was a concert by the trues outside and, you know, it was, you know, you could stand out and it was free and it was loud and it was, uh, but then, you know, we spent basically a good part of the afternoon and, and into the early evening before we even got to the game, before we got in, walked into the stadium, uh, you know, walking around and looking at all the, the things that were, there were to see. Uh, and then we saw the game and, and the, this expansion team beat the Argos in their first ever game, and and we were there, and and uh, I mean he it bit him, and 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 he he's there now, he's there for life, and awesome. yeah, I think it's so important to engage young people early. It doesn't matter if it's a CFL or if it's whatever hockey, baseball, football, anything. Uh, get the kids when they're early, excite them when they're there, and they'll be there for life. Yeah. And uh, one other question, too, just about CFL with television. Is cable going – I mean, I know in the States, streaming is taking over. People are are cutting the cord. Same thing in Canada. Are people cutting – are people getting rid of, T, um, of the cable companies, which TSN obviously, you know. No, I, I don't think so. No? No, no, no not at all. Uh, now, mind you, there are levels of packages that you can get. Okay. Uh, there's Bell and Rogers and they're, they have levels of packages. If the very basic package, uh, TSN is a Bell property. So if you have Rogers, ba their basic cable doesn't include TSN. Oh, wow. So and the reason I, why I was asking is streaming the future is streaming going to be the future for the CFL as it is down in the States with the NFL, say on YouTube TV. I believe so. I believe that it will not only be the future for the CFL, but it'll be the future for sports in general uh in the future okay dave well 100 we're we're here we i mean you, you if you guys saw the announcement between espn what is it espn fox and discovery about um the three of them teaming up and having like a super super sports streaming package like if if they're talking about it it's just it's just a matter of time be, before it's we're, I mean, all, all the, the big four here, that, that's the direction they're going. I mean, they're yeah, all, it's, it's all going to be, it's going to be that. It's just, it's it's going to be how, on the sports side, I see it, is how they can monetize it and then make it affordable. So 
go to somebody who's going to pay them a ton of money to get it and then make it reasonable for all of us to watch it with the aspect of Amazon or someone like Amazon can pay a ton for it. And then because they have everybody under the sun or I'm, I'm really curious on how, how the MLS and Apple long-term partnership is because that's more of a, a global brand um, sport than say, um, and then say the the main sports in the United States, like where where hockey is, is is huge, and hockey will always be that place in Canada. It's just you, it's just what it is. Yeah, that's like yeah. soccer. That's like soccer around the world. So uh, the 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 media, I, I think the media in the United States just don't understand the impact that Apple can have on this sport because it they still look at soccer as that fifth fifth or sixth or seventh right. sport. I, I, I'm curious, though, to, to ask you guys, because you guys live it, but, uh, I mean, you guys are sports fans. You guys are sports guys. Uh, in the States now, you can watch English Premier League on Peacock, can't you? And, and uh, is, is I mean, the, I'm hearing from people talking about European soccer more than I ever heard anybody talking about mm -hmm. European soccer. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and is it because of the streaming that 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 they have the access to it, the easy access to it that they didn't have before, that that allows them to watch it. Yes, in in all the in all the competitions, like the Paramount Plus, which is the CBS version, they have the UEFA League, and and you're mm. getting you're getting Bundesliga, you're getting the German League, you're get you're getting everybody now. You're getting you're getting the the La Ligas, and you're getting the the, the Mexican Division One. You're now to the point where 15 years ago you 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 would get glimpses of who these who these players are in England now you're watching every single game I mean you can watch that Wrexham team um <laughs> they're they're fifth division and you you can you can buy a package to watch fifth division English football like that's how I mean you if you want to if if you want to watch it you will find it It'll be on your screen somehow. <laughs> the way we're watching sports now and going, I'm kind of referencing back to your Howie to when you and Sean talked about the demise of sports illustrated, oh. how we view sports nowadays was written about back in the seventies by the great writers at sports illustrated, like Frank DeFord and you know, all those other guys we live in the future now and going, you know, we can, Watching sports is just, it's amazing just how much easier watching sports is now. I know, you know, for me being in Japan, so if I want to watch English Premier League, I have DAZN, which is yeah. D, well, D-A-Z-N for those who yeah. are in the States who are listening, uh, D-A-Z-N.com, but it's an international based out of Britain. But here in Japan, hey, I can watch my J-League, J-League 2, I've, we've got a local team, and I've got all the Japanese baseball teams, except for the Hiroshima Carp. They're not, for whatever reason, they're not, uh, they're not, they don't, another one of those don't broadcast their home games on the streaming service. So, you know, wow. who knows? But yeah, but we live in the future now. And it's just, it's so amazing. Even more amazing is the fact that we are talking three different countries. Howie's in Canada, Dave's in the States. I'm here in Japan. And despite the technical difficulties we had right before, uh, we went live here and everything. We're able to pull this off tonight with the magic of technology. So, Howie, before I let you go, let everybody know how to find your book, how to find you, how to find you and Sean over the show, and uh, we'll wrap everything up here. My two books that I have out, put out in 2023, uh, Crazy Days and Wild Nights and More Crazy Days and Wild Nights. Uh, the best place and easiest place to get them is on Amazon. As I said, if you have Prime, uh, you order you order the book. It'll be at your place on your doorstep within a day or a day and a half. And uh, that's that's uh, you know here here they are. If if you want to look for the the titles, look for the uh, oh, there there we go there. Anyway, um, if you want to find the Sports Lunatics Show, uh, you can find it um, wherever you get your podcasts: uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio. Um, you you can find us too, Sean and I. On thesportslunatics.com, uh, we have a, a page there. Uh, you can go through, you can find uh, recordings, you can find written materials, you can find all kinds of different things at thesportslunatics.com. You can also find The Sports Lunatics on YouTube. Um, 
I believe it's just look up sports lunatics or the sports lunatics uh, in the, in the search page on YouTube and you'll find us. Uh, we've got a lot of stuff there as well. Shawnee is, uh, you know, he's working incredibly hard on a lot of this stuff and putting a lot of the stuff up. Right. Uh, so, uh, and, and he tonight is hosting a trivia. He hosts trivia, uh, evening, uh, at, at uh, one of the, he's out in Nova Scotia. And I, I don't even know if they're going to be out there tonight because with the snow, but oh. he was saying that, uh, uh, that uh, he, he, I sent him a couple of questions and he says, I might have used these, but uh, that he could not, he had a previous engagement, so he could not be here tonight with us. Okay. And um, for everybody who is tuning in and right now we're on the live stream. So I see one viewer. It could be my mom. I don't know, but Hey, if you're, you're, um, <laughs> but if you're watching this on the replay, thank you very much for, for tuning in. And um, listening to us in the podcast, thank you as always for for um, for listening to us. And from the fifty five yard line, you can find us at from the fifty five yard line dot ca. And uh, we are on the Sports History Network, and you can find us at the Sports History Network dot com. We're also uh, we're also on YouTube, and look for the Sports History Network on YouTube, and you can find the podcast there. But like the Sports Lunatic Show, we are everywhere. Everywhere you could pretty much, I think, on every podcast platform that I've been able to see. And, um, you know, just like you said, it's amazing. You know, we're, you know, all of us here, all three of us, we get to, to be 12 year olds again and be, uh, <laughs> be back. And, you know, back in the day we were growing up. Oh, yeah, I'd love to be on the radio. Yeah, it'll never happen. But now, hey, look, because of technology, we're all radio stars, even the even, even micro, micro level type radio stars. Um, but yes, with all that said, thank you very much for tuning in, everybody. Listen and um, keep an eye out too, because Howie, because I think what I'd like to do in the future, as we're moving on here, as we get, a, we're going to talk, have you on and talk more CFL because that's the roots of the show. And I wanted to get the free agency today, but just we're running out of time here. I mean, and, I made um, lots of notes too. I made my notes on the yeah. back of an envelope. Well, you know what? I mean, I know right now because you're uh, you're on the DL, so you're readily available. So who knows? Maybe next week we'll be having you depending upon our schedule and everything how next week's uh, schedule goes bring you back talk uh cfl free agency because we're right now with the free agency it's still gone going i mean we it hasn't ended yet no nope. we don't know where my guy lucky whitehead's going yet so you know i mean i may yeah. switch allegiances to the, from the bc lions to wherever lucky lands so um and uh but anyway with all that said thank you very much for tuning in everybody um this is greg speaking for dave my for Dave, Howie, and uh, Fran. Hey, and Fran, we'll be back uh, probably next week. We'll be going over his around the league segment. Thank you very much for listening, and um, we will be talking to you soon. Bye bye.
This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Hello, football friends. This is Darren Hayes of the Pigskin Dispatch Podcast, and I'd like to invite you to the portal of positive football history, Pigskin Dispatch and pigskindispatch.com. We talk about everything that centers around the game of American football, expert discussions, the origins of the games, the great players, teams, and coaches, and more, and some great guests and insights from experts. We have new episodes three to four times a week, and you can find us on sportshistorynetwork.com, pigskindispatch.com, or your favorite podcast provider. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.